being able to get back into Formula One as a Schumacher is obviously something where many people said I would never make it, but yet I'm here. My goal is to become world champion at some point. Welcome everyone to Beyond the Grid with me, Tom Clarkson. My guest this week is a man with perhaps the most famous surname in Formula One. He's made his debut this year with Haas and he's improving all the time. He had his best race of the season in Hungary last month, where he got his elbows out with Max Verstappen en route to 12th place. The man I'm talking about is, of course, Mick Schumacher. To follow in the footsteps of his father, seven-time champion Michael, was never going to be easy for Mick. Pressure all the way, the spotlight always shining in his face. Yet he's coped admirably and won through. He was champion in Formula 3 and Formula 2, and he's now delivering at the highest level, albeit in the slowest car on the grid. There's no doubt that Mick's quick. All he needs now is the opportunity to show it in a fast car. And to that end, let's hope the rule changes in 2022 mix things up. And Mick is a member of the Ferrari Driver Academy, so he gets the occasional run out in one of their cars to show what he can do. And the Scuderia are helping to direct his career as well, so he's in good hands. As you're about to find out, Mick is both personable and engaging. He's a man who thinks about his answers before talking, and he's very proud of his heritage. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Mick, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you for your time. We had a little bit of a chat before the start of the season, and I remember you saying to me, I'm looking forward to every aspect of Formula One even the media, even this bit, has it lived up to expectations? Many things in Formula 1 are better and, and more relaxing and more fun, in fact, than what I thought it was going to be. And, uh, you know, personally, I'm, I'm just happy to be here, happy to be able to, uh, you know, set my marks, but also work with so many great individuals. If it's, uh, you know, uh, people that work in the media, but also people working in the sport, even the marshals on track, everybody... You know, they are, they're here because they love the sport. That just fills me with more passion. You strike me as a man who was only ever going to be a racing driver. Is that the case? Or was there ever a time when he wanted to be a plumber, a fisherman? Or <laughs> was, there, was there ever another agenda, a plan B? I wouldn't directly say a plan B. My dad always said I should study engineering. But uh, as racing became more and more, um, I would say, professional from my side, um, that kind of became a second thought and obviously my my main thought was always racing and and formula one and uh, especially year 2018 2018 when i won an f3 that was really the day where i realized that i could make it into formula one did you ever do the engineering thing no (laughs) (laughs) i mean before we come on to, to the racing itself what kind of a guy were you when you were i mean you're still so young but when you were younger what were you good at at school Languages. Languages was always something that I enjoyed a lot, um, more than math. Go on, how many, how many, how many can you speak? Uh, I can speak four, four languages. As well as you can speak English? I would say so, yeah. Well, English, German, and probably French is very fluent. And then Italian, I, I kind of make my way, way around it, I have to say. Amazing. So, languages, not so much maths. But physics. I was uh, passionate about physics, biology, and sports. 
Does some of that help you now? I wish now, knowing how much physics actually do in motorsport, uh, I would have listened maybe a bit more to just be able to understand things quicker. But uh, nonetheless, I feel it did teach me something, yeah. So look, let's, let's talk racing now. We're at the halfway point in the season. How do you sum it up? Interesting, I think is, the, is a very good word to it, uh, just because obviously I've learned a lot. We have had highs and lows, but in general, the trend was positive, you know, going upwards, ending on, on a high in Budapest with uh, P12. I think that was very good. And, and obviously we know that we were fighting with uh, Max for a few laps, which, which was great. We had uh, good battles and, and, you know, a lot of knowledge for me. And uh, that, that's what I want from a race weekend is, is to learn, is to take things on board that I can use in my future uh, races and, and future events that are coming my way. Hungary was fantastic. Loved that little battle that you had with Max, as you've just described. But are there any laps this season that the TV cameras didn't capture where you felt, yes, I nailed it? A few, probably. I mean, uh, unfortunately, we're not much on, 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 on well, live broadcast at the moment, which is understandable. And I think that the first glimpse of me driving was in Budapest. Schumacher's got the inside line, they bang wheels as Verstappen goes through turn three. He gets his elbows out and he muscles his way past the hasp. I think there are a few laps that I think were really good. A few races that were, were positive. As a driver, you always perceive them more, let's say, rich in action than there actually might be from the outside. I'm a passionate guy. I, I love racing and, and love having battles. And, and I think that uh, definitely in Budapest, I got... A good taste of that. Got to show that I have the potential to also fight with the guys up top. You've certainly impressed a lot of people, including Ferrari boss Mattia Bonotto, who's been saying lots of nice things. But have you surprised yourself? The reason I ask that question is that when I look at your junior career, which like so many people followed very closely, you always struck me as a second year driver and you won lots of championships, great results, whereas you've come into Formula One and nailed it from the outset. Has that surprised you in any way? Um, can, yes, possibly. But I think that it mainly has to do with the fact that I feel so comfortable in my, in my skin and in the position that I'm in. And I think that that really shows on track the performance and everything. So, uh, yeah, I, I could say that I'm surprised about myself in that case. It's like you enjoy the big stage. Is that fair? I enjoy racing those cars and uh, if it's a stage or not. I mean, obviously, at the moment, we don't have many fans on track. We had, I think, since um, July fans back. But, you know, even if there were nobody and I would just get to drive for myself, I'd still enjoy it the same way. What's been the biggest thing to get used to in terms of maximizing a Formula One car? I'd say the ties. Understanding the ties uh, are or was a big challenge. You know, and I still can't say that I understand them 100% because up to now we've had very different weekends, uh, some with very high degradation, some with nearly none. And to always understand it, it's, it's not, not that straightforward. So uh, I think that that's a point where as a driver, we can do many things, many, you know, learn a lot of, of things with each race. And I feel that with each race, I do learn to, to that and I get to use the tires in a different way every race. And the data, and uh, there's so much more information out there about Formula One than there was in the junior formulas. Has that been quite difficult to get your head around? Uh, not really. I think that for me personally, it was uh, not too new 
if that, if that, that makes sense. Like I've driven in, in a Formula One test before, which was in 2019, and I got to get my first impressions there of how it is to have live telemetry. But I have to say, I use it as an asset. So it, it's very helpful in many ways to me, and, and especially as being a rookie, um, it did help me grow faster, I would say. Ayo Komatsu, very senior engineer in the team, said something very interesting about you the other day. He said, you're very open-minded about trying new things, new setups. Why is that? For me personally, it's because with every change we do in the car, I get a new feeling to it. So it means that I can experience the car in different ways, which just basically adds to my data bank, if that makes sense. I have knowledge of how the car should behave. If I do changes in the, in the car, I experience the car in a different way. It's going to be always a new behavior in it. And if I learn how to deal with that, then I can maybe use it later on. So if I want to do a setup change, for example, and I know how the car behaves or behaved with that setup, then I can directly say, okay, it's not a problem. We'll just put it in and I, I know exactly what to expect. Then if I wouldn't be open to changing setups, then I would always be tapping in the dark and, and wouldn't know what to expect. Because he said, you're happy to make changes, even if you know it's not going to help you that weekend. And that's what you're referring to about just greater experience bank. Yes, exactly. The knowledge. The knowledge. Is, is everything this year a voyage of discovery for you? And almost being at the back is quite useful because there's no pressure. You're not on the cusp of points unless we get a mad race, even madder than Hungary. But does that in a way play to, is that to an advantage for you? I think there are advantages, but also disadvantages to it. I mean, if we, if we look at the disadvantage, I don't get to race or have those duels every race, which, you know, is obviously a positive because if I know who I'm racing and how they're racing, if let's say next year the car is a lot more you know, competitive, then I straight away know what to expect and know who am I fighting. Whilst right now I, I just basically drive most of the time for myself. I have to you know, basically let the people by who are faster than me with blue flags or, or even uh, if they're just driving by with DRS. But yeah, in some ways it might take away some pressure, but the pressure is also a thing where I like to have pressure because it is something that I've always had. It's something that uh, then, in this case, I create myself. And that's why you so enjoyed getting your elbows out in Hungary. Yeah, definitely. Do you ever get frustrated by the lack of competitiveness of the Haas at the moment? And does it ever creep over into your driving, even though you don't want it to? I think that everybody wants to be competitive, but uh, obviously there's only uh, one guy or one car that is going to win. So for me, we knew it was going to be difficult. So my mindset was really much set on that. Still, yes, I do get frustrated at times. Uh, but I would say it doesn't affect my driving. So I think that's a very positive part. I, I can, let's say, separate the challenge, what we want to achieve, and the, the position that we're in. Let's talk a little bit more about the team. It's something that keeps coming back, you keep coming back to, is how you enjoy the team aspects of this sport. I mean, are you one of those guys that knows every name in the team? I think I could comfortably say, yeah, I do. You know, obviously it's, it's great working with every, every single person and, and obviously I've, I'm learning from every single person in this team. Most of them are, are here for many, many years and uh, for me it's my first year in Formula 1. So, um, yeah, I respect everybody in the team. I think everybody has their place and, and is doing a great job. What about your relationship with Gunter and Jean? 
I want to say I respect both very, very much. Them have been in this sport for a few more years than I have. And obviously Gene, unfortunately, right now with COVID, is quite difficult for him to, to come to races, but he still does. And uh, he enjoys it a lot. And I think that that's really nice for me to see that, you know, your basically boss enjoys uh, racing as much as you do, even though if he, if he likes more the technical side of it and I like more the racing side of it, maybe. And Gunther, yeah, I think he's, you know, obviously he's a character, he's he's special, but uh, I do understand myself very well with him. He, we very much see eye to eye, and uh, sometimes it's better to have somebody who's very direct just because you you straight away know where you're at and uh, where you stand. Has Gunther sworn at you yet? I think it's a badge of honour. I don't... <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't recall him... Uh, let's say swearing in a mean way, if that makes sense. And I don't mean a mean way. Okay, just... yeah, he's been swearing, like obviously off record, <laughs> yeah. uh, quite a few times. So kids don't don't take example on that. It's not just Hass, is it? Because you're part of the Ferrari Driver Academy. How much have they helped you get to where you are today? Yeah, well, I've I've joined Ferrari Driver Academy in 2019. That was my first year in Formula Two. It was also the first year for me driving with Pirellis, and uh, and, and especially that year they've helped me a lot in, in, in trying to understand how, uh, you know, those ties work, but also how, let's say, um, Formula 2 or let's say a Formula 1 weekend works. It's been a great journey and I'm still part of them, but I'm in Formula 1 now and uh, and I kind of feel uh, that we're not maybe not competitors, but obviously I'm in Haas and, and they're in Ferrari, but still the moment I get to Maranello, we're, you know, obviously all together. I get to speak to every engineer, every team member, and also learn from them. Do you get to use someone like Jock Clear's experience even over a, a race weekend? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, I'm in usually daily contact with uh, Jock on a race weekend. And also if we're not at a race weekend, usually um, we, we do chat a lot. So, uh, you know, he's a great, great person and uh, a great friend of mine. And I think that, uh, you know, having someone like him uh, looking over you, you can be very sure that... Uh, you know, you um, you have somebody who will help you in many ways. And does he help you, what, with setup ideas? How does he help you at a Grand Prix? Well, he mainly helps me with, you know, putting my mind in the right spot and where, let's say, we want it to be. Managing expectations, for example, as well. But also just making me aware of certain things um, that might come my way on the weekend itself. And uh, obviously having that is uh, is a very helpful asset. He's big on the driver psychology, isn't he? Yeah. I'll never forget when he was engineering Takuma Sato at BAR. He actually used to talk to Taku at the start of a race. So the lights would go out and he'd say, right, Taku, you've got Jensen on your right. You've got Alonso on your left. Uh, you've got, you know, it'd be tell right, break now. Break. <laughs> it's not that level we're talking about. <laughs> it was extraordinary. We talk of Ferrari. It does bring back memories of your dad where he had so much success and we are chatting here at spa where he made his debut of course 30 years ago i wanted to start by asking you about that jordan 191 because you drove it the other day and i've seen a little bit of footage of it um stick shift what was it like to drive that car i think the best word to explain or describe it is pure racing because i think in that case we didn't have a seat so I was just basically on the on the chassis itself, sitting on the on the yeah on the chassis and having the H pattern for the first time in a Formula One car. Back then the cars were very fast already. Um, so you know for me, 
It was a very special moment, uh, knowing that my dad drove this car in FP1. You know, I was so full of nostalgia and passion when I when I drove out the first time, and I didn't really want to stop. Unfortunately, then the throttle cable broke, and I had to stop on track. And then I was thinking, okay, what do I do? Do I push or do I wait? So I decided to jump out and actually push the car. And uh, I felt uh, there's a very good saying in Germany, which is directly translated, who push loves or something like that. Or who loves pushes the car. So so yeah, I, I decided to do that. Got the chance to go out again and do a few more laps, but uh, it was impressive. It's Throttle cable, what's that with all this fly-by-wire that we have these days? Correct. How'd you get yeah. on with the, the H-pattern stick shift? Have you ever raced any kind of with any kind of gear lever? A sequential, I have raced a sequential, but never uh, a H-pattern. And uh, the pedal box was very small for some reason. So my, my brake foot, uh, oh my, I was right foot braking uh, trying to do a heel and toe, uh, which I've never <laughs> done before. <laughs> Not very good. Um, but it was, uh, it was stuck on a bolt. So every time I was braking, I was only braking halfway. And I had to clutch. I had to, oh, so many things at the same time uh, going on. But it was... Uh, it was fun. Luckily, I never went from fourth to third. I think that was the risky part. So I always managed to go from fourth to fifth. But yeah, it was a, it was a great memory and, and a great day to be racing. You've now driven, correct me if I'm wrong, three of his cars, three of dad's cars, the Benetton B194, the Ferrari F2004 and this Jordan. Is there another one? The 2002 Ferrari. Ferrari as well. So it's okay. Thank you. <laughs> Four of your dad's cars. Yes, correct. Have you got a favorite? The 2002. Why? Why is that? I mean, it's, for one, the most successful car uh, he's, he's driven. Well, it was uh, here where he won the championship with that car. And he's been on the podium every race, every like 17 races. Well, 17 races out of 17. I think he's never finished lower than third in that car. And uh, I mean, obviously, it's, it's, it's an impressive car. It's a beautiful car to look at. Um, sounds gorgeous sounds amazing does that car feel quick when you compare it to today's cars it feels super light that's what it does it's it's uh you know around corners and especially low like low speed corners um it's so agile and and that's something which i feel that we miss in those cars right now because they're so long they're immensely quick especially through fast corners but you know those low speed corners you really feel the weight clinched the championship we had a tough fight and I'm just uh, so delighted and happy what made you want to follow in the footsteps because it's a tough act to follow this one you're following you know you've just started a band and you're following the Rolling Stones it's 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 hard isn't it or is it depends on what mentality or what mindset you go into it I think for me personally I don't try if that makes sense. Obviously, I want to achieve and, and do my best in this sport. I wouldn't say that I try to beat him, if that makes sense. Or my ambitions are to, you know, just drive because I love it. And uh, obviously, when I do something, I want to do it right. And if I do enjoy what I'm doing, I'll for sure do it good. So uh, my goal is to become world champion at some point. It's, it's a big ask, I know. But uh, I think without that ambition, I, I would be in the wrong sport. Now, the trailer for this Schumacher, do we call it a documentary that's on Netflix? It's a documentary. Yeah. 
The trailer's out now. The film comes out on the 15th of September. You've contributed to the film, obviously. What did you learn about your dad in that whole process? And did anything surprise you? I would say that, you know, for me personally, I got a new point of view of how his career went. And um, obviously being in it myself now in Formula One, even though it's only been 11 races or 12, I understand more and more the sacrifice he had to take. You know, how much it took for him to achieve what he did. How passionate you have to be about something to to achieve that. And uh, something which also always brings back I'd say memory is when, when he decided 2006 to stop, I, I completely understand it because, you know, if you don't have the ambition to win anymore, then obviously it's, it's better if you do something else. Personally, for me, it's like, you know, I am in the middle of, say, my peak uh, or getting towards it. And I love the sport and I, I could never think of not giving 100%. Uh, but I'm sure that, you know, in the future, if let's say I would get to a point where I am... You know, at the end of my career, I've achieved what he has achieved and I don't have the ambition anymore than to say stop that I think is all right. He made that decision to retire at the end of 2006 and yet his passion for this was still so strong. He, I think he drove from the back in Brazil and finished fourth. It was, you know, one of his best races, although he didn't get on the podium. Do you share that passion? Yeah, the fight fighter mentality is definitely uh, one of the things I think where I've taken a lot of, of genes off him because I do have that fighter mentality. I, you know, especially races where, you know, maybe in qualifying I was disqualified or, or for some reason I had a bad qualifying. Normally those races were the ones where I fought the most and, and got the most, let's say, places or even got onto a podium. And, uh, you know, that's the races where consistency is really key, key to winning a championship as well. How proud are you to be continuing the Schumacher legacy in Formula One? Hugely proud. Being able to get back into Formula One as a Schumacher is uh, is obviously something where many people said I would never make it, but yet I'm here. So, uh, you know, I'm proud of, of everybody who, who helped me and supported me along the way and still do to this day. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm really, really happy to be here. And Mick, what's your greatest strength as a driver? For me personally, it's consistency in terms of racing, but then also being a hard worker. Uh, you know, I enjoy working. I enjoy working with many different people who have expertise in, in different areas to then be able to learn from them. How tough has it been on mum to be living the Formula One life again? I just, um, I'm guessing that when, when dad was racing, her nerves must have been in shreds. And now, oh no, the son's doing it as well. I mean, is it tough on mum? I think she's totally fine with it and always been very, very supportive on it. And, uh, you know, she's uh, she's trying to obviously support my sister with reining because that's uh, what, what my mum does is, is riding horses. She loved horses and or she loves horses. And so she's trying to really balance it between us two. I know that she likes racing quite a lot too. She's uh, She's been... A strong go-karter herself uh, in the Mom back. was? Yes, she was only yeah. half a second slower than my dad in Kirpin. Yeah. Oh. She was uh, She was really quick. Hold the front page, that's... Yeah. Does the family still have an association with the kart track in Kirpin? Well, I would say emotionally, yes. Emotionally. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm actually going back there on Monday after Spa. So, uh, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to that, seeing everybody again uh, and maybe even doing some laps. I love this. Ah, oh, it's your mum's jeans. It's not your dad. <laughs> yeah, okay, I've got that. 
Um, so she's still loving it. Does she come to many races or has COVID and commitments at home with the horses, has that made it difficult for her to travel? It made it difficult, uh, but still she tries her best to come to races. I think she's coming to Monza, so uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll have more support. When you started karting, this is all making sense to me now, the penny's dropping, because didn't you use her maiden name when you started? Yeah, okay. Yeah, mum, mum the carter. Okay, I get it. <laughs> um, now, look, what about, you, you mentioned your sister, Gina. She loves her reigning, which looks like an extraordinary sport, I might say. I've watched a little bit on TV. Cowboy hat, and the sort of horses go from, seems to me they go from fast to slow, almost more efficiently than a Formula One car. Yeah, it does seem like it. I mean, it's only one horsepower, but yeah, it goes uh, goes quite quick. I mean, uh, you know, it's called a quarter horse, a horse, quarter horse, um, for a reason, because it's uh, it's the fastest horse on a quarter mile. So, uh, yeah, she has uh, some muscles under her butt. It looks very American, is that right? That's right. The sport's come over... To Europe from America. I mean, do you follow any American sports? Do you partake in any American sports? I wouldn't say especially any like particular sport that I follow from America, but I do enjoy being there. I mean, we have a ranch in Texas. I mean, the last time I was there was in 2017, just because of you know traveling and, and racing everything. I didn't manage to go back, but um, now we have Austin, so hopefully I'll be able to go back and, and see see the ranch and, and see my sister ride and yeah just uh just spend some time there and eat some burgers maybe <laughs> and does gina follow you closely in formula one does does she work on any aspect of your formula one business um well she does follow it or she tries to uh from what i understand uh she's she's very busy with riding horses and, and reining and, and practicing so she's really fully into that right now for her as well She's been a very strong go-karter in the past too. So, oh uh, God, go on. Yeah. Is she. <laughs> what is it about the women? They should, <laughs> the women in your family should be should be racing. Damn it. I'm I'm actually 100% sure she would do so well in motorsport because she's she had some strong races. I have to say. Yeah, have you raced against her? Yeah. Go on. Did she win? He, well, <laughs> she crashed into me. <laughs> that shows the passion she had for it. So uh, no, we had. A lot of fun and, uh, you know, we still go here and there. Uh, if it's nice weather, we still go out karting. Away from the track, what's been the hardest thing to get used to this year? I mean, the fame thing, is it time management? Has that become more pressing, more difficult? I think that the time, you know, spreading out the time over, over the year is very important. Uh, it's something that I'm probably still adapting and trying to basically improve it the way I wanted to be to put my energy into into what is necessary and I think you know for me personally I haven't really felt any restrictions if that makes sense so I still have uh, a very open life I can go to restaurants or walk around in street streets without anybody recognizing me and uh, I think I don't believe that can you really walk around I in can the street and really. not be recognized yes so that that's very very positive Enjoy I don't know what it is. Else. It's probably a cap or I don't know. If yeah. I walk around with no cap, nobody recognizes me. Now, I know that you love your dogs. Is it Angie? Angie? What is it's it's not is it a collie? It's an Australian Shepherd. Shepherd. Australian Shepherd. What is it about dogs for you? Well, on one side Man's they're best friend. Yeah, it is. She's my my best friend and uh you know, she's so calming. I don't know. She she brings you always back to the ground, and uh, 
you know, if she's having a great time, you suddenly, oh, it will bring a smile onto my face. And uh, and if, let's say, you know, one day I come back from a race that wasn't good or whatever, she will come and, uh, you know, be by my side and just bring me back into a good mood. And uh, I think you don't need words. It's just body language. And, and that's what I really enjoy about dogs. Is Angie going to come to any races? Because, of course, Roscoe, Lewis brings Roscoe. I think Mick needs to bring Angie. <laughs> yeah, well, she, she's been to a few races oh, already. Yeah. F1 races? Yeah. Uh, and she's been in the paddock, mostly in the evenings, though. I was thinking about bringing her here, actually. But uh, then I didn't do it because uh, well, I was traveling and everything. And, uh, you know, it's also stressful, the dog, in that case. But uh, hopefully, you know, some other time next year where I know where we're going. And, and if it's, you know, a nice place, I'll definitely bring her again. Let's talk about some of your rivals now how have you found the other f1 drivers have they been friendly or is this a much more closed environment than you were used to in formula 2 formula 3 formula 4 um i have to say many of the the formula 1 drivers i knew beforehand and they've been very welcoming which has been very nice you know i mean uh we see each other when we go onto the drivers parade uh we we have chats and i feel maybe even less closed off uh, compared to formula 2 and formula 3 so I do enjoy working with, I would call them colleagues in a way. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's, you know, hard racing on track and off track. We, we do have uh, have a laugh at times. Go on. Who do you hang out with? The most? Yeah. Sebastian. And otherwise, I mean, obviously I know uh, I know most of them. I, I get to always talk to Esteban, Pierre, Charles, Max, Lewis, and obviously uh, all the other guys too. So uh, no, it's been, it's been very good. How long have you known Seb? Seb Vettel? Since I think I'm 11, since I'm 11. And has he been a big source of advice throughout your career? Did he ever come and watch some kart races or junior he, formula stuff? He came to uh, to watch um, some Formula 4 races at the time. Um, and then obviously he was busy with racing himself. So uh, when he found the time, he did come by. But yeah, he was always very open and, and, and helpful in many ways, and especially, you know, with the Formula 2 and, and, and last few years there, he was very open and, and helped. And, and, you know, I went to come see him in Ferrari a few times. And and yeah, and especially now this year, I, I feel that uh, we've been hanging out a lot and uh, and I've been able to, you know, learn a lot from him. The seat. <laughs> I feel really guilty about that. I asked you about that in the press conference in Austria, wasn't it? Austria too. And then suddenly you just got a whole barrage of questions about it. And I felt a bit guilty. But the seat, is the seat sorted, by the way, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's becoming like this cold classic right now for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Don't uh, change it. It's, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to... Um, find a, a solution in it it's not easy um especially because those cars are very tight i mean the monocoque is very tight and, and very compact everything it's actually quite an interesting thing why are you struggling more to get comfortable in a formula one car than you have in previous cars you have to imagine it that way in in formula one usually the car is adapted to drivers in f2 and f3 they have to have a wide range of people fitting into it so uh I think that, yeah, in some ways, Formula One is a bit more specific in trying to find the right position. You have the extinguisher bottle, you have uh, all the cables and everything, and, and to try and find your way around it is not easy. Is the seat fit process the same as it was in F2, for example? Or is um, Yeah, well, in, in, in F2, for example, you have a bucket, a carbon bucket in it, 
which is opened. Uh, in Formula One, it's uh, it's a carbon shell already, and you kind of have to sit in the shell. But that can make some things a bit more difficult. But yeah, we're we're still trying to find our way around it. I love it. And has Seb tried to persuade you to feed the bees in your garden? Because he, he's got the bee food, hasn't he? He well, turned uh, up in Austria with some bee food. Okay. And I haven't heard about it yet. Um, okay. But we, I was going to go and um, see him in September to try and uh, pick some apples to make uh, apple juice. So I'm looking forward to that. Do you know, I, I asked him when he came on the podcast what do you get up to at home? And actually, the apple harvest was one of the things he mentioned. So, yes, <laughs> he could do with some help, I think. Um, now, look, what about advice from other people in Formula One? I mean, Ross Braun, Stefano Domenicali, describe your relationship with those two guys. Well, it's Ross, Stefano and also Jean, which obviously is a, is a very big part of uh, my upbringing and, uh, and also my racing career. So, yeah, I've, I mean, I'm very grateful to be able to seek advice from such legends in, in the sport and you know also to be able to hear stories of uh, of how it was when when they were working with my dad so uh yeah it's been it's been very 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 good and of course all of those guys we've just mentioned are ex-ferrari as you say what would it mean to you to race for ferrari one day well i think it would mean a lot uh, you know being able to race in a team where my dad had so much success in but to also be part of uh, of such a historical brand and and obviously especially in in Formula One. So yeah, that would be that would be something, wouldn't it? Oh, it would, wouldn't it? But look, looking at the more immediate future, when can we expect any news about what's happening in in 2022? Well, hopefully soon. I think we're getting to the let's say closing stages of uh, of the contract talks, and I'm sure that uh, well in the near future we'll be able to. Uh, give out uh, an answer go on can i can i ask is it is it Haas? is that is that where you're most likely to end up or are you are you keen to spread your wings elsewhere no that's uh at the moment that's where things are going to yeah and mick what kind of 22 year old are you are you very impatient to get on to the next thing or are you happy to bide your time can you see the big picture five years down the road and you've got a very fixed idea of how to get there yeah, I would say that obviously everything I'm doing right now is for the bigger picture. Well, I'm not in it for only a year or two. I want to be in this sport because, well, obviously I love it, but also I want to be in it for a few more years. Best of luck. Thank you very much for your time. It's been great to speak. Thank you. There are so many things I enjoyed about this conversation. First, doesn't Mick speak well in four languages? But I loved the details he provided about driving the car because they shone a light on his analytical approach. But I also learned a lot about Mick the man. And who knew that his mum Corinna was where the racing genes really came from? I also loved what he had to say about his father. So many sons of racing drivers try to shun their pedigree and it's refreshing to hear Mick embrace his father's achievements and also his cars. He clearly loves the runouts that he gets in Michael's old races. Mick, many thanks for your time. It was great to chat and good luck for the remainder of the season. And as ever, please send in any stories or thoughts that you have on Mick. And remember, I'll read out the best ones next week. Send them to me at Tom Clarkson F1 or use the hashtag F1 Beyond the Grid. 
Which brings me on to what you sent in about Bertrand Gachot after last week's show. And of course, Bertrand's connection with Formula One will forever be linked to the Schumacher family because of what happened in the lead up to Spa 1991. Let's start with this from Fabrizio. I didn't know much about Gachot's story, he says. In fact, I thought he was a loose cannon who assaulted a man and deservedly went to jail. But thanks to Beyond the Grid, I discovered that he's a great guy who should have achieved much more in his career. Great pod! Well, thanks for that, Fabrizio. And yes, you're right, Bertrand is a great guy. And just imagine if he'd had the chance to drive the Jordan at Spa 30 years ago. What might he have achieved? Ludovic Montgomery had this to say. Great interview again. Thank you. It's a joy to listen to in the car. Bertrand is such an intelligent man and you can feel his positivity. The way he described his Formula One career, his strengths and how he did speak about his weaknesses and struggles too. This honesty is rarely seen. Well, thank you, Ludovic. And what really comes across, I think, is that Bertrand is a grown-up. He doesn't make excuses. And as you say, that honesty is rarely seen. And what about this from Ben Sherwin? If you've an hour to spare while you're driving or whatever, please do listen to this incredible podcast. Thanks, Ben. The story of how Gasho got banged up and Schumacher got his drive. From unexpectedly being jailed to trying to be tapped up to be a getaway driver. It's a corker. Well, thanks, Ben. Bertrand's stories about life in jail were amazing, weren't they? And we'll end with this from Ed Spencer. Listening to Bertrand Gachot's perspective on his time in jail on the 30th anniversary of his sentencing is genuinely gripping and shocking at the same time. Another superb Beyond the Grid podcast and another superb interview on the events of August 1991. Thanks for that, Ed. And as you say, a lot of what Bertrand said was both gripping and shocking. What a story. I could read out lots more messages because we received loads, but we'll leave it there for now. And thanks to everyone who wrote in. We love hearing what you have to say. Well, that's it for another week. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Mick and don't forget to send in your thoughts and stories on him. And as ever, I'll be back next week with another great guest from the world of Formula One. So see you then. Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 in association with Audioboom. Until next time, keep it flat out.